This program is presented by Birch Gold Group, the precious metal IRA specialists. Good morning. In today's headlines, the Chinese regime continues to hold war games around Taiwan. This after saying its three-day drills were over. And the U.S. and Philippines launched their largest joint drills in decades. House Republicans set a field hearing in New York City. They want to discuss Manhattan DA's Alvin Bragg's policies. Bragg calls the plan a political stunt. Updates on the Kentucky bank shooting. Police reveal a possible motive and details around the shooting. One of the Tennessee lawmakers who led a gun control protest is back on the job. Meanwhile, we spoke with the National African American Gun Association President Philip Smith to discuss gun rights. And we hear the story of how an instructor empowers his students through wilderness survival training. Learn about the benefits of being in harmony with nature and the essential nature skills they learn. Good morning. Welcome to NTD. I'm Kevin Hogan. And I'm Tiffany Meyer, in for Evelyn Lee. Today is April 11th. The COVID-19 national emergency in the U.S. is officially over. President Biden signed a measure yesterday that ended it. But first, we start off with what's going on around Taiwan. The Chinese Communist Party, or CCP, continues its aggressive military presence near the island. The Chinese regime carried out more drills this morning. This after the regime said its three-day war games had ended yesterday. It sent out dozens of fighter jets and bombers over the last few days. NTD's Jeremy Sandberg has more on the ongoing drills near Taiwan. Combat readiness patrols. That's what the Chinese Communist Party, or CCP, is calling its military exercises around Taiwan. Taiwan's defense ministry says over 90 CCP military aircraft flew around the island in missions Monday and that it spotted nine Chinese ships and 26 aircraft, including fighter jets, carrying out patrols nearby late Tuesday morning. A Chinese military ship carried out a live fire exercise near the Taiwan Strait. That happened near Pingtan Island, China's closest point to Taiwan. The Chinese regime began exercises on Saturday after Taiwanese President Tsai Ing-wen returned from the U.S. Tsai met with U.S. representatives, including House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, on her trip. The meeting infuriated the CCP. It warned resolute action and countermeasures would be taken if the meeting happened. The CCP simulated precision attacks and blockades during its exercises. President Tsai criticized Beijing for its response. She says the drills are causing instability in the region. Japan's defense minister denounced the drills around Taiwan on Tuesday. He called it intimidating training to seize sea and air control around the island. Meanwhile, the U.S. and the Philippines are launching their largest combat drills in decades on Tuesday. The exercises involve live fire drills that include sinking a target vessel in waters across the South China Sea and the Taiwan Strait with a coordinated airstrike and artillery bombardment. It's likely to anger the CCP, who warned against the intensifying U.S. military deployment to the region. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. What are we learning from the drills and what's China's long-term plan? We're bringing in Anders Kaur now for more. He is the publisher of the Journal of Political Risk, principal at Core Analytics, and also a contributor to the Epoch Times. Anders, good morning. Good morning. So what are we seeing in terms of the scope of the drills this time? How should the U.S. view this? 
Well, for the first time, they've used the uh, aircraft carrier. Um, every time these drills, uh, the CCP's drills around Taiwan are getting more aggressive. Um, it's a, sign, a signal to the, to the world, to the United States, to Europe, uh, that, and to Taiwan, that they don't want the country to be independent, which, in fact, it is independent already. And it seems, you know, we're seeing French President Macron just spent some time with Xi Jinping. And after his return, he's saying it's important to be independent from the U.S. to not get caught up in any crisis, which Xi Jinping seems to agree with. So what's in it for China? Well, China is trying to split Europe off from the United States generally in the international system. Um, the U.S. and Europe are two of the world's biggest economies along with China. And if China can split us, uh, then they're in a better strategic position, basically. Uh, Macron has faced withering criticism internationally from the United States, from his European uh, comrades, and he is you know, in trouble politically because of what he's doing. And speaking of splitting the U.S., it seems China has been trying to broker deals in Ukraine and the Middle East. What do you think about these increased diplomatic efforts coming out of China? How does this fit into their long-term game? Beijing is attempting to remake the international world order. There's nothing, you know, that's the basic truth. They're attempting to achieve uh, long-term global hegemony. Um, they want to rule the world and every other country in the world that values its sovereignty is therefore at risk. And part of this peacemaking is to pr improve its soft power, improve its image abroad, uh, to make it look like a country that could rule the world. And what does this mean for the U.S., especially going forward? Well, we care about our sovereignty. We care about international order. Uh, that we've had since 1945. I mean, really, the United States has led the international order, not in a heavy-handed way, but in a very light-handed way, um, along with other countries in the UN Security Council. And uh, engaging countries like Russia and China has clearly been a mistake, allowing them to be in the United Nations, uh, which they use as a tool for their own aggression and to paper over their own aggression, was clearly a mistake. Anders Kaur, publisher of the journal Political Risk. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. House Republicans have set a field hearing on Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg's policies. It will take place next week in New York. The hearing from the House Judiciary Committee is called Victims of Violent Crime in Manhattan. Republicans have vowed to hold Bragg accountable after former President Trump's indictment. They say Bragg's policies are pro-crime and anti-victim. Bragg has stated that the DA's office will not prosecute numerous offenses. Those include most trespassing violations, resisting arrest, marijuana misdemeanors, and prostitution. He downgraded other offenses like possession of a non-firearm weapon, residential and commercial burglaries, and drug cases. DA Bragg called the move a political stunt taking place in the safest city in the U.S. Republicans are comparing Bragg's leniency for these crimes with this prosecution of Trump, they're suggesting a lack of consistency. Bragg has charged Trump with 34 felony counts for allegedly falsifying business records. 
And one of Bragg's aides responded to the announcement. He says instead of road tripping to New York City for a hearing on violent crime, Jordan should travel to his home state of Ohio to investigate murders. NTD will be live streaming the hearing next Monday at NTD.com. And more details revealed on the Kentucky bank shooting. Police say the suspect acted alone and was a full-time bank employee. One official says he knew he was going to be fired and wrote a note to loved ones before heading to his job yesterday and opening fire. And today's Jeremy Sandberg has more on what's known so far. Authorities say the shooter started killing colleagues at a morning meeting around 8.30 a.m. before the bank opened to the public. Police say four employees were initially killed in the attack. Another passed away from her injuries Monday night after undergoing multiple surgeries, bringing the death toll up to five. That left eight injured, including two police officers. One was shot in the head during the shootout. That officer is 26-year-old rookie Nicholas Wilt. He's in critical but stable condition after having brain surgery. Wilt was new to the force, graduating from the police academy late last month. Police say the shooter is dead, but are still trying to confirm if he was killed by officers or a self-inflicted gunshot wound. The shooting was live-streamed on Instagram and has since been taken down. Police identified the suspect as 23-year-old Connor Sturgeon. His LinkedIn page says he worked at the bank as an intern for three summers from 2018 to 2020. His profile says he became a full-time employee as a portfolio banker in 2022. A law enforcement official says Sturgeon learned he was going to be fired and wrote a note to his parents and a friend about his intentions to shoot at the bank. It's not yet clear if the note was seen before or after the shooting. The suspect's home in Louisville was searched after the attack. Officials say an AR-15-style rifle was used in the shooting. The White House repeated its calls for more gun control Monday night. We need to act and we need Republicans to show some courage, Republicans in Congress. President Biden's gun control wish list includes banning so-called assault weapons in high-capacity magazines, laws requiring safe storage of firearms, background checks for all gun sales, and the elimination of gun manufacturers' immunity from liability. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. One of the two Democrats expelled last week from the Republican-led Tennessee House was reinstated Monday. This after Nashville's governing council voted to send him back to the legislature. NDD's Daniel Monahan has the story. It took the Nashville Metropolitan Council just a few minutes to restore Representative Justin Jones to office by unanimous vote. Nashville City Council member Delicia Porterfield spoke in the lawmaker's favor. This is not the first attempt of the state attempting to silence the people. It had only been four days since Republicans stripped him of his seat. Right after the vote, Jones marched to the Capitol several blocks away, as protesters made the trek as well. He took the oath of office on the steps and entered the building. I want to I welcome democracy back to the people's house. That on last Thursday, members of this body tried to crucify democracy, but today we stand as a witness of a resurrection of a movement. Jones says his expulsion awakened the people of the state, especially young people. And no expulsion, no attempt to silence us will stop us, but it'll only galvanize and strengthen our movement. And we continue to show up in the people's house. Power to the people! That's out of order. That's the second time. Republicans banished Jones and fellow Representative Justin Pearson over their role in a gun control protest on the House floor. As protesters filled galleries, the lawmakers approached the front of the House chamber with a bullhorn and participated in a chant. The scene unfolded days after the shooting at the Covenant School where six people were killed, including three children. 
Justin Pearson could be reappointed as soon as Wednesday. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. Tennessee lawmakers were calling for more gun control. To find out what the other side is saying, NTD's Daniel Monahan spoke with National African American Gun Association President Philip Smith. NAGA President Philip Smith says guns wouldn't be necessary in a perfect world. In a perfect world, but the world we live in is not perfect. America is a very violent place and people need to realize that. We have over 300 million guns as we, ha as we stand right now. 300 million right now. That's a lot of guns. Smith says the vast majority of gun owners are good people who pay their mortgage and get nagged at by their wives to take the garbage out. But unfortunately there is a small slither of people that make it their, their duty to cause harm, to rob, to steal, to kill, um, to make society in an uproar just for their own selfish reasons. That's why you need a gun to protect yourself from those types of individuals. According to Smith, if you want to stop school shootings, you need to protect schools and the children with armed guards. And if you don't understand that mindset, you are what we call in NAGA a soft target. In other words, if I'm somebody that's going to do harm, I'm going to look for the easiest route to hurt the most amount of people. Oh, that church right there, that synagogue right there, that mosque right there doesn't have any guards. Well, I'm going to go in there and shoot everybody. Smith founded NAGA in 2015. He felt the African-American community needed an organization that spoke to its concerns and needs. We came here under the burden of slavery, and we've had to fight literally in blood and death to get to the point where you and I can have a conversation where I'm in a nice house and, and, and live in a decent neighborhood. So the Second Amendment for us is a actual grabbing and visualization physically and symbolically of being able to protect ourselves. That's why it's so important. Although NAGA is an organization that focuses on African-American issues, Smith says all are welcome. We simply want folks to be trained, and I don't care what color you are. When you come to us, we're going to give you a high five, we're going to give you a hug, and we're going to say, come on, brother, well, come on, sister, and learn how to shoot a gun, how to protect your family. Smith says the great outdoors is a big focus for many NAGA members. They're getting into fishing, um, getting into kayaking, getting to those natural sports out in nature, and I think that's a... That's a really good thing. NAGA will hold a national convention in July. Some of the planned discussions include rebuilding black men, starting the conversation with children on gun safety, and is my faith in conflict with my Second Amendment rights? Daniel Monahan, NTD News. Coming up, public cell phone charging stations. It seems they are everywhere now. However, the FBI has issued a warning about so-called juice jacking. And do you know how to survive in the wild? We get some insight into how learning to adapt to the natural environment can bring you many benefits, so stay tuned. Welcome back. A historic strike at New Jersey's flagship university. Thousands of professors, part-time lecturers, and graduate students at Rutgers University have walked off the job for the first time in the school's more than 250-year history. The strike was initiated by union officials on Sunday after faculty members voted overwhelmingly in favor last month. It followed a standstill in negotiations over contracts and pay, which have been at the forefront since last July. Union leaders say they're demanding salary increases and better job security, as well as guaranteed funding for graduate students. 
It's been about 250 days that we've now been working without a contract, and the university isn't budging on the issues that are most important to us at the table. A lot of part-time lecturers are paid about $5,000 per course, uh, which proportionally is not equivalent to what other faculty are getting paid for the same work. Our graduate students are also paid nowhere near a living wage, about $30,000 a year, which is not enough to live in the New York metro. The conditions here really are deplorable for employees. I've seen over and over again people not being paid on time, including myself sometimes. It makes it very difficult to raise a family. Classes were still being held Monday as picket lines were set up at New Brunswick, Newark, and Camden campuses. The Biden administration's plan to cancel up to $20,000 in student debt could have an unwanted side effect. Some people's credit scores may drop. Despite a three-year pause on federal student loan payments, many borrowers' accounts remain registered as current with credit agencies, thereby seriously affecting borrowers' payment history, the key element for obtaining credit. Experts predict the situation is only temporary and should not affect those who still have a balance following the cancellation, providing they settle up on time with their bills. At present, payments are scheduled to start again in September. Do you use public phone charging stations in airports, hotels, or shopping centers? Well, you'd better think twice about it. The FBI has sent out a warning against using them. In a recent tweet, the FBI said bad actors have figured out ways to use public USB ports. They can use them to introduce malware and monitoring software onto devices. According to an FCC consumer warning, it's a practice known as juice jacking. Using the malware, hackers can gain access to electronic devices while they are charging. Such malware can lock a device or export personal data and passwords. The FBI advises people to carry their own charger and to use an electrical outlet instead. Have you ever wanted to get away from it all and learn how to survive in the wild? Well, our next guest teaches people just that about an hour north of New York City. Students of his learn skills like making fire, navigating, tracking, and awareness. Have a listen. Joining me now is Shane Hobell, the founder of Mountain Scout Survival School and a professional tracker. I'm really glad you could speak with us today, Shane. Oh, no worries. Thank you. And good morning to you, Kevin. How are you? I'm good. And I want to know, why are you running this organization? Uh, great question. Um, as children, we visit the museums and natural history, usually on school trips, but that's the closest we ever get to in terms of these skills actually being handed back to us. These are your human ancestral right skills, and we keep them behind glass. And so schools like this exist all over the place, and this is the only way that we can receive those skills um, is through hands-on history, and that's how I like to put it. Yeah. That, that is fascinating. What's a big lesson from your course that someone can take with them back to civilization that will benefit them? Is it the resourcefulness, the inner peace, the humility being at the command of nature, or what? Uh, yes to all of them. Um, <laughs> And it's the empowerment. You know, people, when you are recipient of skills, it's not something that takes up any room in your backpack or your briefcase or your purse. Uh, it's empowered within you. And that's the greatest thing you can take back. And yes, these skills are applicable both here in the wilderness and in the urban environments. Um, but that's the growth within. That's the greatest thing that people walk away with. Empowerment, that's such a valuable skill, it's hard to attain. Now, what are some of these yeah. natural human life skills and how are they affected by what can be at times a tech-centric, fast-paced life? That's, well, you, you hit it right there, fast-paced. We live in a very hardcore matrix. It's very fast-paced, high-tempo, 
um, very little time to actually live your life. You're too busy being busy. And so that said, we know that history is spoken many times before that regardless of the civilization that we create, there's always a little flux in it, you know, be it a snowstorm, a disasters or otherwise, and, and other things can go sideways. That, with that, having these skills doesn't make you dependent on any of those things that we have created in the modern place. It puts you back in relationship in harmonious living with Mother Nature, the natural world. Um, and that's the empowerment. That's the place where people are finding comfort, regardless if they live here or in the cities. They are seeking this information and they're finding that uh, comfort within. They know that they can take care of themselves and their loved ones. Being in harmony with nature can be so useful. And now in the U.S., there are competing ideologies, which I know people take your course to get away from politics, but they have progressivism, which some say leads to dependence on the government, and conservatism, which can lead to the opposite and values self-reliance. So how can we view this dichotomy in the lens of survival in the wilderness? You know, that's another good question. I have to say that fire, hunger, cold, uh, the bear, or even the person on the street that wants to attack you. None of these things actually care about any of those views, the politics, the religious points, the financial statuses. None of those things care. What, what does matter is whether or not someone is being active, you know, reactive, or more importantly, proactive. And that's what happens here. You learn to take away all those things and what's left. And so these skills are starting to fill in the gaps of knowing that you're capable, regardless of the situation, regardless of the political strife, who knows, who cares. We're all dependent on the same umbilical cords of getting our electric, getting our food, getting our gas, and, and so on, regardless of our views. If those go down, we still rely on these skills. Being proactive, that is such a valuable lesson. Shane Hobel, the founder of Mountain Scout Survival School, I'm really glad to have spoken with you today. Oh, my pleasure, Kevin. Good morning, everyone. So, Tiff, have you ever gone camping? It's been a minute, but I used to, yeah. Actually, the video we saw over there with the bow drill fires and tracking, I used to learn that. <laughs> Did you make the fire? Yeah, it was wow. an adventure. That is cool. And, you know, I actually learned how to read the clouds to tell when a storm is coming. I mean, as they say, you can learn to read nature like a book. Ah, good point. And coming up next, we have monster trucks in Southern California. An off-road truck contest shook up Los Angeles County. NTD spoke to one of the competitors. And a young moose looking for a snack wandered into a hospital in Anchorage. We have more on that after the break. monster trucks in Southern California. Over the weekend, thousands of fans cheered on their favorite competitor in the world of gigantic action-packed truck driving. NTD spoke to one of the young contestants who's making a name for himself. On April 8th, thousands of people gathered in the Industry Hills Expo Center to attend the 2023 Monster Truck Wars in the city of industry. One of the contestants, Preston Collins, the driver of Shark Attack, made his truck fly on the course. So this truck is right at around 10,000 pounds and it's got around uh, 1,600 horsepower and each tire is about 700 pounds. And it's, there's a lot that goes on in there at one time. He's one of the youngest in the competition of monster truck driving, which drivers of specialized off-road vehicles compete in races and freestyled stunt driving. The sport first came into public eye in the early 80s. I mean, this has been a dream of mine since I was about two years old. 
my parents took me to my first show, and never since then I was just hooked. In freestyle events, each driver puts on a performance consisting of stunts such as obstacle jumps and backflips. A panel of judges assign points to each performance, and the driver with the most points is declared the winner. I'd like to say to the young kids that if you've got a dream, and you, that you can do it. It doesn't matter what it is. Because, I mean, I used to be a little kid, and I had a dream, and look at me now. I'm living my dream. Monster Truck Wars next show is in Corpus Christi, Texas on April 15th. That looks pretty cool. What do you think? Yeah, I thought it was awesome when he did that wheelie. Yeah. Lots of fun. <laughs> so moving on to a moose on the loose, a hospital in Alaska got a surprise visitor of the moose variety, and it was all caught on camera. A young moose wandered into the lobby of Providence Alaska Medical Center in Anchorage. While wildlife sightings on the hospital campus are common, hospital staff said this is the first time a moose actually made it inside the building. The moose took time to have a snack and nibble on some plants before hospital security carefully encouraged the moose to exit the building. What a curious animal that is. I feel like you often see seagulls, but not that big of a moose variety. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, good thing you just needed a snack and not anything else from the hospital. <laughs> That's very true. We've also seen scary videos of the moose chasing people. <laughs> <laughs> good thing there wasn't any of that. Well, that's all for today's program. We'd love to hear from you at goodmorning at ntd.com. So shoot us an email if you'd like. Thanks for watching. I'm Tiffany Meyer. And I'm Kevin Hogan.